Father, we do acknowledge that we need you and we need your son all the time. And uh, Lord, yet we get distracted and we uh, lose interest in a sense in the grandeur and glory of who you are and what you've done. And that's wrong. Help us to renew our minds that we would stay focused on the things above, not the things of earth. That we would continually run through our hearts and minds the truth concerning your son and what he has done for us. Praising you and praising him for what he has done, dying for our sins. And I thank you, Lord God, that death could not hold him and that he rose from the dead. And Father, I thank you for this time we have now to look into your word. And I do pray that you would work in our hearts, help us to understand this incredible truth we'll see today. And for those who don't know you, may they be convicted of sin and may today be the day of salvation, Lord God. I pray for that. So we thank you for this time. We commit it to you now in your son's precious name. Amen. Well, the reality is, whether you're a believer or not, we go through difficult times. We all enter into different circumstances. There are times in life where things might be good, where we may have everything we need. There are times in life where we may not have everything we need. There are difficulties and trials and tribulations that come upon us during this life. Our circumstances change uh, on a daily basis, whether it's uh, a physical illness that comes upon us or financial issue or relational issue, whatever it might be, things change. And we live in a, in a world in which uh, we do not know what will happen tomorrow. We don't know. And yet for believers, in that context, we are told in Scripture that we should be content. We are told that we should be trusting in Christ. And yes, we do, but yet at times we don't. There are times where we go through struggles and trials where we actually are not content, where we are, we are not resting in the reality of who our Savior is and what he is doing. We are waiting for a resolution, in a sense, based on our will, and that contentment is, is gone. Well, today we're going to see the secret of contentment. There's not many times we see in the Bible this term secret, this term secret, but we're going to see it today. There is something that is learned that we believers, once we learn it, if we apply it, we will be able to endure and have contentment in every circumstance and through all circumstances. So today we come to a wonderful portion of Scripture where we're going to see the secret of contentment. Turn your Bibles to Philippians chapter 4, verse 10 is what we're going to be looking at. And I want to remind you of the context of the book of Philippians. The Apostle Paul is under house arrest. He is in chains 24-7. The possibility of him being executed is certainly there. Uh, he's going to go before Caesar. And uh, he is communicating with a church that he loves, a church that has sent uh, Epaphroditus to care for his needs, but also to provide for those needs. And he is writing in response to that. He's writing in response and within that, he shares his thankfulness for the work that God has begun in the Philippians. They're true believers, and he knows that God will complete that work. And within that, he, he shares his circumstances to them. Of course, they might be worried. The gospel's not going out. He's chained. What's happening? And Paul says, the contrary has happened. God has used his imprisonment for the furtherance of the gospel. 
And that helps us understand things when circumstances come a certain way and we feel chained in a sense by what God has allowed. That doesn't chain what God wants to do. The Apostle Paul said that very thing. And then he shared his attitude, whether he lived or died, to live as Christ, to die as gain. And he understood that whether through life or death, from his perspective, he wanted Christ to be magnified in everything. And then he shared the Philippians' attitudes, that they were to stand firm against opposition, the opposition. They were to stand firm in the gospel, the faith of the, for the faith of the gospel. And they were to uh, be humble like Jesus Christ. They were to consider others as more important than themselves. They were to be like-minded. They were to function in the context of unity, taking on the mind of Christ. And we have that perfect example in chapter 2. Uh, who, although uh, existed in the form of God, did not require equality with God, a thing to be grasped, right? But emptied himself, taking on the form of a bondservant. And then he humbled himself, uh, being obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. That's the mindset we are to have. We are to lower ourselves in our own minds in the context of trusting Christ to obey him and do his will. Uh, you see, a lot of times people don't understand what humility is. We see the perfect example of humility, Christ God in human flesh who humbled himself to be obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And that was all for us. And then we saw that we are to, in light of Christ being exalted to his proper place as Lord of all, where every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is Lord to the glory of the Father, that we are to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. We are to actually work out what God is working in. You see, if you're a true believer, God is at work in you. He is, by His Spirit, changing your thinking. He is, he is changing your understanding concerning your circumstances, your attitudes, situations. He is filling us with His will, and we are to work out by His power and strength what He has worked in. And then we saw we are not to complain or dispute about anything. We're not to complain or dispute about anything. And then we saw three examples of just this. The Apostle Paul, Timothy, and Epaphroditus. And then in chapter 3, Paul says, it's right to remind you of these things. There's bad guys out there. They're the false guys. Beware. Beware. And he's particularly speaking of false teachers, but there are those false brethren also. And he gives an indicator of how we can understand who is the true and who is the false. He says, we are the true circumcision who worship in the Spirit of God, glory in Christ Jesus, and put no confidence in the flesh. That's how you'd identify the true versus false. And then he goes to explain his testimony. If anyone had, had uh, reason to put confidence in their flesh, uh, and he explains uh, it was the Apostle Paul before salvation. He was a Hebrew of Hebrews. He was circumcised the eighth day. He was uh, righteous according to the law, blameless, everything. He had all the religious credentials. But all of that fleshly credentials means nothing. Uh, you can't, it doesn't gain any favor before God, and actually it's the opposite. And when the Apostle Paul met Jesus Christ, he considered all that he had thought was gain in that religious category to be loss in view of the passing value of knowing Christ Jesus. And he understood that he wanted to be found in Christ's righteousness, not through a righteousness of his own. And he sought to be closer and closer to Christ. He understood the upward call that we should press forward. Encourage us to press forward to that upward call, not looking back, forgetting what lies behind. 
And then we had the exhortation to imitate him and those who walk like him. To, to imitate the faith of Paul, not the actions of Paul. It's the faith that brings about the actions. Imitate his mindset towards Christ and circumstances and situations and the future glory that we have with the Lord. Because there are those who don't think that way. And he said, even weeping, that they are now enemies of the cross of Christ, who God, whose God is their appetite or desires, who, whose glory is in their shame, who, who set their mind on earthly things. Not so for believers. We should be seeking, eagerly awaiting the coming of Christ to finish the job he began where we would be glorified by his great power. Then in chapter 4, we were to therefore to stand firm. Stand firm, he says, my beloved in the Lord, his joy and crown. And then as he starts to begin to finish up, he gives some final exhortations. One concerning us, a spat between two godly women who were sinning. He needed them to, to live in harmony in the Lord, or literally think uh, the same way, have the same mind. They were to think like Christ, which resolves difficulties and situations. And then we saw how we are to uh, be able to endure and not uh, get caught up in worrying and anxiety. We are to let our forbearing spirit be known to all men because the Lord is near. The Lord is near. We are to be anxious for nothing, but through prayer with supplication with thanksgiving, let our requests be known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses comprehension or all comprehension, shall guard or garrison your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. We are to pray rather than worry. And there's a lot to worry about. Believe me, I lie down in bed and there's like a whole list of things I can worry about, right? You too, I'm sure, even throughout the day. And I have to, I have to take those thoughts and give them to the Lord. Cast my cares upon Him. Pray about them. Thank Him. Give my requests. Make them known. And He protects my mind because that's a promise. And He'll protect your mind also. And then we saw where our heart should be. We should be thinking of those things that are true and right and just and, and of good repute, those things that are worthy of praise, the things of Christ. And from that point, we come to what uh, we should be doing. We saw last week that the Apostle Paul applies everything he's been sharing. He says, the things you have learned, the things you have received, the things you have heard and seen in me, the stuff of the Scriptures... He says, do these things, or literally accomplish them as the word. Accomplish these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Do what you have learned. Step out in faith and obey the Lord. And we're going to see that obedience today doesn't come from our strength or pulling up our bootstraps or just rotely following a list of things that God has said in his word. It comes from a real relationship with Jesus Christ who strengthens us to do everything he calls us to do. So then, how are we to uh, find contentment in the midst of a life that is full of temptations not to be content? Please turn with me in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 4. And we're going to see today uh, two things regarding contentment, that those who are content are not driven by want, and secondly, those who are content... Uh, actually care more about themselves. Well, first of all, they care more about others than themselves. And secondly, those who are content have learned the secret. They've learned the secret. So let's take a look at our passage. Now, I'm going to start at verse 10, and we're looking through verse 13, but I want to read past that just for context because it, it all is together. and It's going to help us understand our three, four verses today. Uh, verse 10, But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly, that now at last you have revived your concern for me. Indeed, 
You were concerned before, but you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak from want, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. I know how to get along with humble means, and I also know how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. I can do all things through him or Christ who strengthens me. Tremendous statement. And then I want to read past what we'll see today for context. Nevertheless, you have done well to share with me in my affliction. And you yourselves also know, uh, Philippians, that at the first preaching of the gospel, after I departed from Macedonia, no church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving but you alone. For even at Thessalonica, you sent a gift more than once for my needs. Not that I seek the gift itself, but I seek for the profit which increases to your account. But I have received everything in full and have an abundance. I am amply supplied, having received from Epaphroditus what you have sent, a fragrant aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. And my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Wow. I could stop right there and praise the Lord, right? This is a tremendous, wonderful portion of Scripture. What a privilege we have to be in it today. And so here today as we look at our passage, we're going to see so clearly, so clearly what uh, the Lord has revealed concerning contentment. Concerning contentment. Notice the Apostle Paul begins by rejoicing because they, their concern is flourishing for them, for him. Excuse me. Verse 10. But I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at last you have revived your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned before, but you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak from want. And did you notice our passage starts with a, a but there, a contrast. Now in Greek it's kind of a lesser contrast, maybe not as powerful of a contrast. There's a few different words that could be translated this. It could be translated and or but. Sometimes it's not translated. Some of your translations won't even have it in there. But it's there for a reason. It is used to coordinate thoughts, to connect thoughts together. And you say, wait a second, how does what he's saying here go with what he just said? How does it go with it? Well, I think we're going to see that he has just shared that we are to take the things we have learned, received, and heard and seen in him and accomplish them, and the God of peace will be with us. We are to apply what we have learned. And now through personal experience, the Apostle Paul is going to show that some of the ways we learn is actually through the experiences God brings upon us so that we will apply the truth to our hearts and minds. And then the result is we will see is a right and content walk with the Lord. So then he says, But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at last you have revived your concern for me. He says he rejoices, and how does he rejoice? In the Lord, in the sphere of a relationship with the Lord. In the sphere of the Spirit of God working in his heart. We see in the Lord, it's it's, it's a context of a relationship. That term in in Scripture often speaks of the sphere, the sphere in which he is rejoicing. I rejoice in the Lord. I rejoice in the Lord. He says here, and uh, within that he says that you have revived your concern. The word concern here is what we've seen throughout Philippians. The word is phaneo, which means to think. 
Think about it. If you have concern for someone, you're thinking about them. I rejoice in the Lord that you are thinking about me. Right? You're thinking about my, my situation. You're thinking about me. And he rejoices and he says that you have revived your concern for me. Now, this word revived is only used here once in the Greek, Greek text in the, in, the New, in the Old New Testament. And it speaks of plants sprouting up, becoming green or flourishing again or blooming. I rejoice that you are blooming in a sense for your concern for me. I rejoice in that. And notice uh, it says that something might be taken this way. You might think this is the case, that maybe they had lost their concern the way it's written here in our language, but I don't think that's the case. Uh, they didn't lose their concern for Paul. Notice what it says in verse um, middle of verse 10. Indeed, you were concerned before, but you lacked opportunity. Or you could say it this way, you were in the past continually, habitually lacking the opportunity to show this concern that you had. See, our passage says, um, verse 10, but I rejoice, Lord, greatly that now, at least, at last, it's not really that way. It's not like they finally are concerned about him. It's that they finally now have an opportunity to bring about that concern. That's really what it's saying. And he says here, they continually in the past lacked that opportunity, and now it has arisen, and Paul is rejoicing. I rejoice that this opportunity has been manifest. And let me give you some history, and I've read it already, but look up at verse 18, excuse me, verse 15. And you yourselves know, Philippians, that at the first preaching of the gospel, that was 10 years later, or later, earlier, <laughs> Ten years earlier, after I departed from Macedonia, that's where Philippi is, he says there, no church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, but you alone. You remember when I shared the gospel with you and I left, you were the only church that supported me. You were the only one. For even in Thessalonica, you sent a gift more than once for my needs. This was a church that loved Paul and they supported him. They supported him. And now in verse 10, he says, you were concerned before, you thought about me before, but you lacked opportunity, opportunity. You see, they lacked the opportunity to give, but that didn't stop them from being concerned when the opportunity arose and that concern bloomed or blossomed. That's what he's saying. Now, how was it that they might have lacked opportunity to give to Paul? You see, Paul is 1,500 miles away from them. There's no email, there's no telegraphs, there's no telephones, there's no cell phones. Uh, he's a long way away. The only way to get there is by foot, by the way. The only way to get a message is by foot or by horseback. And so here we see that they had lacked opportunity. But how so? I think there's a couple possibilities. First of all, we need to recognize it is apparent from Scripture that the Philippians were quite poor. They were poor. They were not wealthy. They were not wealthy. Uh, somehow they had got, they'd become poor. We know Lydia was a seller of purple, which you, when they were first saved, and they were supporting things, but they seemed to be poor. And how can I say that? Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. And we're going to see that their giving was generous and sacrificial in the midst of their poverty. Remember, the province of Macedonia is where Philippi is, Okay. 2 Corinthians 8. Now, the Apostle Paul had made a request of all the churches to give some money to 
help the Jews in Jerusalem who were suffering. And this is a response to that from the Philippians, okay? 2 Corinthians 8.1 Now, brethren, we wish to make known to you the grace of God which has been given in the churches of Macedonia. That's Philippi. That in the great ordeal of their affliction, their, uh, of affliction, their abundance of joy and their deep poverty overflowed in the wealth of their liberality. For I testify that according to their ability and beyond their ability, they gave of their own accord, begging us with much entreaty for the favor of participation and support of the saints. And this, not as we had expected, but they gave first of themselves to the Lord and to us by the will of God. They were desiring to give and they were poor out of their poverty they gave. It was apparent that the, that the apostle Paul said, hey, you guys don't need to. But they requested, let us give, let us give. They entreated for the opportunity to give. What a tremendous example these Philippians were. They gave out of their poverty, not just the money, but they gave of themselves. Some people are really easy to just write a check and throw it out there. Now, if it's the right heart behind it, praise the Lord. But if it's just to get the guilt off your back, then that's not good. They gave of themselves. And uh, the Lord, uh, they gave the, out of their poverty and of themselves. But now, so quite possibly, maybe they were so poor they didn't have opportunity. That's one possibility. Another possibility was there was maybe no one to deliver the gift to Paul during that time. Maybe there was no one who could. They didn't. They lacked the opportunity. Third possibility is maybe they had lost contact with him for a season. Well, we don't really know, but what we do know is that he understood that their concern was manifest when the opportunity did arise. And apparently Epaphroditus, as we'll see, he was able to bring a gift, a financial gift for Paul, uh, 1,500 miles. Let's look at our passage again, verse 10, back in Philippians chapter 4. But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly now that now at last you have revived your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned before, but you lacked opportunity. Again, that term concern speaks of thinking, of thinking of someone. They were thinking about Paul, and they gave. Epaphroditus brought him a a, a gift. Look down at verse 18. He says, but I have received everything in full. I have an abundance. I am amply supplied. What you gave me is super abundant. I've got everything I need financially from the gift you have brought. Having received from Epaphroditus what you sent, a fragrant aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. I've got this tremendous gift that you sent. Thank you. It's an acceptable sacrifice. I'm I'm amply supplied. And so he's rejoicing that their concern had an opportunity to blossom again. To blossom again. Folks, we are to rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice, right? But yet there are times when what we do will cause others to rejoice. And we need to think about that. Isn't it wonderful when people trust the Lord and do what is right and show love in the body of Christ? It brings joy. It brings joy. So he is rejoicing in the context of their concern, blossoming for him. He's rejoicing in that. And what a blessing it is to rejoice when we see what God does through his saints. Certainly we are to rejoice always, but what a blessing when others cause us to rejoice in the Lord, right? Wonderful thing. He knew that concern would be manifest. So let me ask you this. What is your giving like? Do you contribute to the needs of those who are doing God's work in the body of Christ? 
Do you continue to contribute to those needs from those you have personally interacted with and known personally who are faithfully serving the Lord and doing his work? Are you sharing and rejoicing in that? So often it is disconnected where people support people. They don't even know. They don't even know what's going on. Here in Scripture we see the support is through people who knew one another and they knew that the Lord was working through them very clearly. And so he says he rejoiced greatly in the Lord. Now at last you have revived your concern for me. Now he wants to qualify this because people always take things wrong, don't they? We always take things wrong. We can we can misconstrue a, a conversation. We can misconstrue a sentence. And quite possibly he's concerned, inspired by the Spirit, that they might think, hey, I rejoice that you gave me all this cash. I'm doing well now, right? That's not his motive, right? He's going to say and qualify this, not that I speak from want. Notice what he says here. But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now you have revived your concern for me. It's in terms of the gift they gave him, financial gift. Indeed, you were concerned before, but you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak from want. And we're going to see the first principle. Those who are content in Christ don't live in the context of want. Guess what? If you are living in the context of always wanting something, you're in trouble. We need to learn, as we will see, the secret of contentment. Not that I speak from want. A term could speak, say, even poverty or need. He's saying the context of being needy or wanting. Lest they misunderstand the Apostle Paul, that he's buttering them up for more cash or whatever it might be. He says his rejoicing is not based on want. It's not based on his desires. He says, not that I speak from want, for I have learned, he's going to explain, to be content in whatever circumstances I am. And notice, those who are truly content are not driven by their own desires. They are not driven by their wants. Paul was not thanking them for their gifts so he could get more. He wasn't driven by the desire of of, uh, financial security or whatever it might be. He says, not that I speak from want, for I have learned, for I have learned, and we're going to see this, to be content in whatever circumstances I am. You see, if you are driven by your want, then you will be circumstance driven. Because circumstances affect us all the time, and they affect those things we want, don't they? If you want something and you don't have the money in your circumstances, that's going to affect you, right? We are circumstance driven at times, but we should not be. And thus we should not be driven by our desires. Contrary to what the world preaches day in and day out, money or financial security will never, ever bring contentment. You think if we just had this, oh, will I be at peace? Well, no, it's not true. It's not true. And we're going to see the Apostle Paul learned the secret to in whatever circumstance to be content. So what we see, first of all, is those who are content in the Lord are not driven by want. But notice, we're going to see also that those who are content in the Lord have learned in the crucible of circumstance how to be content. Looking in our passage, verse 10. But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at last you have revived your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned before, before, but you lacked opportunity 
Not that I speak from want, and now he's going to explain, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. I know how to get along with humble means, and also I know how to get, how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. I can do all things through Christ or through Him who strengthens me. Here in verse 11, he begins to explain what that word for. He says, for I have learned. I don't speak from want because I've learned something. I've learned something. I've learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. And this is so important. It's interesting. He doesn't just say, I am content. He says, I have learned. Paul was a human being like you and I. He was a believer who had to mature in his faith. And he learned this. He learned this. The term learned comes from the word monthano. Same word which speaks of a disciple, a learner, right? We saw it back in verse 9. The things you have learned from the scriptures that we know in context, received and heard in me, practice these things, and the God of peace shall be with you. And now he says, I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. Now, this word content is a very interesting word in Greek. It literally means, and it seems weird when I say it, so if he's learned to be this, but you have to get the context, it means self-sufficient. Okay, so wait a second. Self-sufficient, it came to speak of not needing anything externally from self, outside of self. It came to speak of contentment or being satisfied. And it also carried the sense of a happy state of mind. A happy state of mind. Now, in, in the context of the world, that would speak of someone who is fully self, self-sufficient. They could do it on their own. They don't need anyone else. And they were fine with that. But that's not what's being spoken of here. The context here is of being content in the context of what Christ does within you. He says, not that I speak from want, for I have learned to be, in a sense, have nothing from the outside to make me have peace. I've learned that. I've learned that. In whatever circumstances I am. Now, folks, we all experience a variety of different circumstances as we walk through life, some good and some bad. We all have circumstances that surround our lives. They are, as Paul would say literally here, the circumstances of me. The circumstances of me. I've learned to be content in the circumstances of me. The question would be, have you learned to be content in the circumstances of you? The circumstances of you. He says, not that I speak from want, because or for, I have learned. I have learned this, and we're going to see there's a secret to it. True Christian contentment has to be learned, brothers and sisters. You learn it as God takes you through circumstances. As he takes you through the circumstances of you, he teaches you to apply the word to your heart that you would have peace in those circumstances because Christ is empowering you and you'll be able to do everything he calls you to do, which includes enduring through bad circumstances. You see, before we continue, we need to recognize circumstances, the ones we avoid so easily, are the venue 
in which we learn to have contentment in circumstances. It's the crucible in which God uses to teach us. To teach us. You see, Scripture is really clear. We are to be content. And yet, we need to take that word that we've learned and been taught and seen and apply it and accomplish it, but it is accomplished in the context of actual circumstances. Turn to 1 Timothy chapter 6. We have a very clear statement about how we should be content. And we need to obey that. But God uses circumstances to cause us to then go to the word to apply it to those circumstances, to obey it. 1 Timothy 6, verse 6. He's kind of coming off the context of bad guys who actually see godliness as a mean of gains. They use, you know, godliness as a way to gain, you know, in a sense, and gain in a wrong way. Those are the bad guys. But now Paul's going to say real godliness, in contrast, is actually a means of great gain. 1 Timothy 6, 6. But godliness actually, and that's speaking of real godliness, by the way, is a means of great gain when accompanied by what? Contentment. Contentment. Our problem is we lack contentment and we need to learn it, you see? And how we learn it is by applying the word to our circumstances and trusting the Lord in those circumstances. He says here, it is a means of gain when accompanied by contentment. For we have brought nothing into the world. Has any? Did you ever see a baby born with like a wallet? No. We brought nothing into the world so we can take nothing out of it. And if we have food and covering with these, we shall be what? Content. Now, we're being told this, but we learn this by applying this in circumstances. You see, we have to have the word in us when those circumstances come that we can apply that truth and God gives us peace in the midst of those things. He says, but those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a snare and many foolish and harmful desires. Remember, not that I speak from want, which plunge men into ruin and destruction. I think of a car on an icy road on a mountain. It plunges over the side. When you desire finances, you desire to be rich, it'll plunge you into ruin as a believer. He says here, and pierce themselves with many a pang. Lots of people, right? He says, But flee these things, you man of God. He's speaking to Timothy. Flee it. Flee this stuff. And pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, perseverance, and gentleness. God's word tells us if we have food or shelter, we should be content. And when I'm not content, I need to go back to God's word in the midst of those circumstances and learn to be content. What about Hebrews chapter 13? Turn to Hebrews 13 as you keep your fingers in Philippians. Hebrews 13. This is two believers. I'm never going to learn the secret of contentment if I don't have the word in my heart. If I'm not doing what was the verse before, which says the things you have learned accomplish, right? i got to learn it to apply it in those circumstances. Hebrews 13.5. Hebrews 13.5. Let your character be free from the love of money. What's a love? It's a desire. It's something that you, you, you value, you cherish from the love of money. And he says, being content with what you have. Now, he, you might take that at this point and think, hmm, oh, I'll be content with how much money you have, right? Well, no, he explains. For he himself, speaking of God, has said, I will never desert you, nor for, will I forsake you. Be content with what you have. You have the living God. 
Be content with what you have. And we see in Romans chapter 8 that we are to recognize in every circumstance that God is working everything for good. Everything for good. We are to be seeking first his kingdom rather than worrying about food and shelter, Matthew 6. And there are so many scriptures that reveal that we are to be content, but yet we learn that contentment in circumstances as we apply his truth in the context, as we will see, of a real relationship trusting in Jesus who will do all things through us. So then, ultimately we take the truth we have learned. God is good, working for our good, no matter what. He's taking care of us, that we're on our way to glory, that he's near. He will guard our hearts with his peace. We take that truth as we've learned and apply it to our circumstances. And as we will see, trust and rely on Christ completely. So then, as we continue, we see contentment is learned in the crucible of circumstances. Those very circumstances we so want to get out of at times. That's not wrong to pray about that. We're to pray about everything. But we need to recognize God uses them to teach us. And notice he expands. Look back at our passage in Philippians 4. He says, not that I speak of want, for I have learned, done deal. It's actually in a tense that means he's learned a lesson and it still affects him now. I learned the lesson. I learned it. He's matured, okay? We need to learn it too, brothers and sisters. To be content in whatever circumstances I am, he says, I, he says uh, in verse 12, I know how to get along with humble means. I also know how to live in, in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, the things of me, that's what it is. In any and every things of me, the stuff that comes in my life. He says, I have learned a secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. He says, in whatever circumstances, in whatever things come upon me, whatever it is, he says, in any and every circumstance. He says he has learned. And what is the downfall at times in our Christian walk? Circumstances. Right? We need to learn in every circumstance to be content. To be content, as we will say. To be, to be thinking rightly. To be at peace in the context of what is happening within our relationship with Christ. So what was the context he was learning? It was in circumstances. Notice he says this, I know how to get along with humble means. It means he's been poor. I also know how to live in prosperity. It means he has been amply supplied. The term I know in Greek is in the perfect tense. I know and that knowledge is already there, but it affects me now. And it's knowledge that comes through experience. I have learned through experience how to get along with nothing and how to get along with a lot. I've learned it. I've learned it. Humble means speaks of less, obviously. And humble means for us is probably wealth for them right now, the way how much stuff we have, right? See, contentment means, practically speaking, you will be able to get along with a little or with a lot. It doesn't mean that you are, con- it doesn't matter, it's, it doesn't matter what you have, you are content, you are at peace. You're okay because, as we will see, Christ is your sufficiency in any and every circumstance. Now, when you think of being poor, 
you think of it, it's difficult to be content, right? Because you're in need, right? But you learn in Christ that, as we will see, he gives us the strength to empower us to get through anything he brings us through, any circumstance, whether it's poverty or wealth. He will strengthen you. I've learned to trust him and know that he will get me through every time. I've learned to trust Jesus. I've learned to trust him. Now, we all understand poverty. We understand the, the temptation to be not content in that, right? But guess what? There is a, a deep temptation also in abundance to be not content. There's a deep temptation to forget the Lord when we have what we need. To forget the Lord when we have what we need. And we need to learn contentment. Turn to Deuteronomy chapter 8. Deuteronomy chapter 8. You see, being wealthy can be just as tempting as being poor, by the way. And you've got to learn in every circumstance, any and every, even the extremes. Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 11. This is a warning to the Israelites as they're coming into the land. Not to forget when things go well. Not to forget the Lord when things go well. Beware lest you forget the Lord, Deuteronomy 8, 11, your God, by not keeping his commandments and his ordinances and statutes, which I am commanding you today. Lest when you have eaten and are satisfied, have built good houses and lived in them, and when your herds and flocks multiply, your silver and gold multiply, and all that you have multiplies, that your heart becomes proud and you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. He led you through great and terrible wilderness with its fiery serpents and scorpions, thirsty ground, and there was no water. He brought water for you out of the rock of flint. In the wilderness he fed you with manna which your fathers did not know, that he might humble you and that you might, he might test you to do good to you for you in the end. Otherwise you might say in your heart, my power and my strength has made this wealth. But you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who is giving you the power to make wealth, that he may confirm his covenant with which he swore your fathers as, to this, as it is to this day. And it shall come if you ever forget the Lord your God and go after other gods and serve them and worship them. I testify against you today that you shall surely perish. We need to remember that when we have an abundance, as we'll see, we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. He did it. He brought about what we have. And I guarantee even within our abundance that we have right now, you're probably not content at times. It's just it's because it doesn't satisfy. It will not give you uh, contentment. As much money as you can get, there's always the possibility it'll go away. There's always something more that you might want. The writer of Proverbs prays this, Keep deception and lies far from me. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is my portion, lest I be full and deny thee and say, Who is the Lord? Or lest I be in want and steal and profane the name of my God. There are temptations when we have a lot and a little. And Paul gives those extremes... As an example, I've learned in these extremes, but also in any and every circumstance, I've learned to be content. And he goes on and explains a little more. He says in middle of verse 12, back in our passage, in every circumstance, I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both having abundance and suffering need being filled speaks to eat to the full going hungry we understand that having abundance means to abound in regards it was translated even being rich by the way 
Suffering need means to fall short or to be late, to not reach something. I don't have what I need. I'm not reaching that point of what I need. Paul is saying through the circumstances, he has learned the secret of contentment, the secret of Christ's sufficiency in all things, as we will say. Paul went through many tough circumstances, and he learned from them. May we learn from ours. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, the Apostle Paul declares how he learned something. 2 Corinthians 1 verse 5, For we do not want you to be unaware, brethren, of the affliction that came to us in Asia, that we were burdened excessively beyond our strength, so that we despaired even of life. Indeed, we had the sentence of death within ourselves, in order that we should not trust in ourselves, but in the God who raises the dead. Circumstances training us to trust in Jesus Christ, who delivered us from so great a peril and will deliver us, he on whom we have set our hope, and he will yet deliver us. Now on a side note, sadly, these principles are ignored at times through so many Christian missionary and ministry entreaties to the body of Christ for support. Paul didn't see the ministry as kaput when he was short of what he needed. He learned how to be content in everything, whether being fully supplied or undersupplied. He learned the secret of contentment. And for us, when God brings you through a season of poverty, he is teaching you to rely on Jesus Christ. When he brings you through a season of abundance, he is teaching you to rely on on Christ. And the Apostle Paul says he's learned the secret. And notice he says, in any and every circumstance. That expands way beyond this, way beyond the extremes of poverty and wealth. Now, what's interesting is he uses this term, I have learned the secret. And in Greek, it's a very interesting word. It literally means to initiate into mystery religions to be initiated into the secrets of a mystery religion. Now, why would Paul say that? He's basically saying in this context, I've learned the secret. It's a mystery, but it's been revealed. He's not saying it's a mystery religion. He's saying it's like those who are in those that they don't know what the secret is of that mystery religion. They get it and they've been initiated. Now they understand. He says, I've now learned it. I've learned the secret. And I want to ask you, have you learned the secret? You see, and he says, I've learned it. In the past, I learned it, and it still applies to me now. And he also says it in a passive voice. What does that mean? I didn't actively learn it. It, I, I was caused to learn it. Paul was caused to learn the secret through the crucible of the difficulties he went through as he accomplished or did what he had learned in Scripture and from the Lord Jesus Christ. And the same thing for us. Believer, we need to learn it. We need to learn it. And we need to apply it. And so what is this secret? What is this secret that we need to learn? This mysterious secret? What is the secret to having contentment in the context of poverty? What is the secret to having contentment in the context of wealth? What is the secret of having the contentment in the context of any and every circumstance? What is the secret? It's verse 13. I can do all things through him or Christ who strengthens me. What a verse. 
The secret to contentment is in all and every circumstance, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Now, this verse is kind of a complicated verse in the Greek language, and we need to unpack it to really gain the the richness of what is being said here. The term all things is emphatic. It comes in the beginning. All things. It's emphatic. All things. Everything. Everything. And the term translated I can do, the verb I can do, is not your normal verb for doing. It's actually a verb that means being strengthened to do something, being enabled to do something being enabled or given the ability to do something. I am given the ability to do everything through him who strengthens me. I'm given the ability in any and every circumstance to do everything that he calls me to do through his strength. It's quite an amazing thing. When you learn that secret, you are set free from circumstance. When you learn that in Christ, to trust him in every circumstance and that he will give you the strength to do everything he calls you to do, whether you're poor, whether you're rich, whether you're in between, and whatever comes you. When you learn that he will give you the strength, you learn that and you trust him, you are set free. You are set free. He says, I can do, or I have been given the ability or power to accomplish I've been given the power to accomplish everything. Now, the term uh, in here, in Christ, or, or through Christ, it says here, is really a preposition, en, en, which speaks of being in or in the sphere. And your, your NASB might have a note saying literally in, in Christ, or not through, but in. The question is, uh, who is the him here? Some Bibles say Christ. Those are from later manuscripts. Uh, the earlier manuscripts, which are more reliable, say him. And the context is obviously Christ. It's, there's no doubt it's Christ. Indeed, in Philippians, the term in Christ is used ten times. Look down at verse 19. We see in Christ all of our needs are supplied. And my God shall supply all of your needs according to his riches and glory in the sphere of Christ Jesus, in the context of your relationship with him, in the sphere of a real relationship with Jesus Christ. I believe he's saying he has been given the ability to do all things in Christ, in the sphere of his relationship with Christ. That's key. I'm given the ability to do everything within the sphere of my relationship with him who strengthens me. That's the key. That's the key. And he says, I'm given continually, habitually the ability in Christ who present tense continually, the word is uh, endunimo, empowers me. He empowers me continually, continually, continually to do what he calls me to do in every circumstance. Therefore, I'm content. I'm content when I'm poor because he's empowering me to endure. I'm content when I'm rich because he is enabling my heart to see it rightly that I wouldn't become proud and forget the Lord. I'm content in everything because he is using his word to change my heart. I am given the ability to do all things in him who empowers me. Who empowers me. So often we discredit and disrespect the Lord so much when we don't believe what he has said. When we don't believe his promises. When we don't believe his truth when we apply it to our lives. Paul learned the secret of contentment. It is in the context of everything in Christ. He has given us the ability to do those things 
by his continual empowerment, he empowers us to do those things. All the circumstances he leads me through, he will give me the ability and power to respond according to his will, if I trust him. Everyone, I've learned the secret. That's the secret. That's the secret. And you learn it in circumstance when you apply the word of God. Because you go in the circumstances and you don't know it, but you apply the truth of God and you see that it's true. You see it's true and you learn it. You learn it when you go through the circumstances. And Paul had learned. Now, one caveat to this promise. It's not a blanket promise that I can do all things. Oh, because of Christ, I can be the president. Because of Christ, I can be an astronaut. Because of Christ, I can win the Indy 500. He's not saying that. All things in Christ. I'm empowered to do everything in the sphere of my relationship with Jesus Christ. By Christ who strengthens me. Everything he calls me to do, I'm empowered to do. If I trust him. If I trust him. And Paul did trust him. All that he requires. Paul learned the secret. And this is the secret for you, believer. It's the secret for me. He empowers us to do everything he requires. In every circumstance he brings. In everything that is in him. Now, am I empowered to endure through things that I'm doing wrong and sinning in? No. But when I confess my sin, I'm empowered to understand that the consequences are his discipline that he's changing my character with, that I would be righteous. I start to apply the word of God. You see, I'm empowered to endure for that reason, because he loves me. You see? He's taking his word. I can do all things he requires of me when I trust him and abide in him. That's the key. Turn to John chapter 15. John chapter 15. This is the secret to the Christian life. Boy, you write a book, Secret to the Christian Life. People read it and they go, ah, you know. They want stuff to do rather than trust Jesus. Right? It's trusting Jesus. Believing that he empowers you. Believing he will do what he says. But you've got to know the word of God. When you go through those circumstances, you've got to go to the word. You've got to apply it. And you will learn that he is faithful to what he has said. When he says the peace of God will guard your hearts and mind of Christ Jesus and you actually trust him, you get that peace, you go, I'm learning, it's true. I'm learning. John chapter 15, verse 4. The Lord Jesus is instructing his disciples before he goes away and sends his spirit in his place. He says, abide in me, chapter 15, John 15, verse 4, and I in you. That means rest, rest, abide. As a branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. just sits in the vine. Just rests in it. Neither can you, so neither can you, unless you abide in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. There's a Christian life. Apart from him, you can do nothing. Abiding in him, you can do all things that he strengthens you to do, right? So that's, that's it. It's either nothing or everything, by the way, when you trust him or you don't. Apart from him, you can do nothing, he says. And, and, and he says, uh, if anyone does not abide in me continually, he is thrown away as a branch and dries up, and they gather them and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you. I can't rest in Jesus without his word resting in me, right? I can't do that. He says, my words abide in you. That means they remain. They don't flee away the minute you walk out of here. They're in your heart. You've got to keep it in there. He says, my words abide in you. And whatever you ask, whatever you wish, and it shall be done for you. 
By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, so prove to be my disciples. Turn to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. In this passage, the Apostle Paul wants believers to know the surpassing greatness of his power towards us. His power to enable you to do everything that is in Christ. You see, when God says, love your wife, live with her in an understanding way, or vice versa, wives, love your husband, respect them. When God says, love your children, raise them with fear and action Lord, I can't do that. But if I trust him, I learn the secret that he will empower me to do it. He won't empower me to do it because he's faithful. He says, do your work hardly unto man and unto God, not unto men. Right? I can't do that on my own. When I trust Christ, he empowers me to do it. The sphere of being in him. Ephesians 1, verse 19. And what is the surpassing grace? It's that you would know this. What is the surpassing greatness of his power towards us who believe? Christ is willing to empower you to do everything he requires of you. Everything. Everything. <clears throat> this is accordance with the working of his strength and his might, which he brought up in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in heavenly places. Resurrection power. Ephesians 3.20, Now to him who is able to do exceedingly Excuse me. Exceedingly, abundantly, he says, beyond what we ask or think, according to the power that works within us, Christ in us. And the verse I love, 2 Corinthians 3, 4. And such confidence we have through Christ towards God. Not that we are adequate to consider anything as coming from ourselves, but our adequacy is from God. I can't do it. I can't preach to you. I know that every time I come, every time I teach, every single time I would fail if I didn't know this. If I haven't learned that secret, practically speaking, I would fail every single time. Lord, I cannot do this. I know that. But I trust you to do it through me. And he does every time because he's faithful. And he will do that in every sphere in your life that you trust him and you learn and understand the secret. I am given the ability to do all things in him who continually empowers me. Continually empowers me. Last passage I want to read. Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. We see the process of Paul learning this. Daniel read it earlier. 2 Corinthians 12. The process of how circumstance caused Paul to learn something. To learn to rely on Christ. 2 Corinthians Chapter 12, verse 7. And because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, for this reason to keep me from exalting myself, that means being prideful, by the way, he said, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, to keep me from exalting myself. Concerning this, I entreated the Lord three times that he might depart from me. Now the implication is he didn't depart. It didn't. And he said to me, here you go. My grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. I am unable, Lord, to teach and preach today, but I trust you to do it through me. And he does. I'm unable to raise my kids in the fear and admission of you, Lord God, but I trust you to enable me to do it. I believe you will. I'm unable to do my work hardly unto you, 
by myself, but I trust that you will enable me to do it. I'm unable to deal with the situation in which people are saying this or that, but I trust you to help me respond rightly. He says, my grace is sufficient for power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, he's learned, by the way, he learned it. We need to learn it. Most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weaknesses that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I am what? Well content with weakness, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. He learned the secret of contentment. We need to learn it. I am given the ability to do all things in him who empowers me. That's the secret. That's the secret. Well, let me ask you, have you learned the secret to contentment? Let God use the circumstances in your life to teach you to apply his word to apply his word to those circumstances so that you will learn the secret. You're going through a difficulty financially. Maybe it's a difficulty, whatever it might be, physically, relationally. Learn the secret. Apply his word and then trust him. Apply his word, trust him. And you will learn that you are given the ability to do everything in Christ through Christ who continually empowers you. Tremendous, wonderful reality. So then, how is it that we find contentment? We saw today clearly that Paul learned and spoke not from want. He wasn't driven by his desires. But he learned the secret. Brothers and sisters, learn the secret. Learn it. When trouble comes, when circumstances come, and they will, let God's word change your mindset. Trust Christ, and you'll see his power working in you, and you will learn. And you'll be able to say, I have learned the secret to contentment. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for your word. I thank you for the truth, this tremendous truth, that through your son you are You give us the ability to do all things in him. You do so. You give it to us. We can do all things through Christ, but it's really you've given us the ability to do it. And Lord, we thank you that it is through Christ that we are strengthened. Father, I pray for every true believer here that we would recognize our absolute inadequacy. Apart from Christ, we can do nothing. But we would trust you and believe this truth in regards to what you have said in your word and step out in faith and see Christ working gloriously and then we can rejoice. Well, Father, I pray for anyone here who doesn't know you, who is in circumstances that are overwhelming them, Lord God. May they recognize, first and foremost, they need a Savior and trust in your Son, Jesus, for salvation. Believe in him and be saved. And lastly, Lord, may we learn the secret of contentment. May we be those who could say, I have learned. pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.